Hello, and welcome to Singled Out. As you may have noted from the title, this week's episode is going to discuss evolving religiously during singlehood. Anyone who's been single, I'm going to say past their mid-20s, is going to have to contend with this topic at some point. Because the longer that you're single in the Jewish community, the more our personal and religious identities begin to evolve. And I specifically use the word evolve here as opposed to change because evolution isn't negative. And as our speaker for this episode puts so well, evolution is healthy, natural, and supposed to happen at every stage of our lives. But it is definitely something that we feel way more acutely during singlehood. And why that is, is something we discuss a ton in this one. But hopefully that evolution is always a positive change. But how do we handle that when it's viewed negatively by others? When it comes with meaning, to put bluntly, being more lax in certain areas of halacha. How do I approach that change for myself and face others making judgments around me? And how do I navigate still staying connected religiously throughout that evolution? And this is where the nuance of this episode gets really interesting because there's an extremely delicate balance in recognizing how to align our religious and personal health while not fully removing ourselves from the Jewish community either. And our guest, David Bashafkin, has a ton to say on that. I'm sure many of you know David from either his Twitter account, Dbash Ideas, his column in Mishpacha Magazine, the work he does with NCSY, or from his own awesome podcast, 1840. What made recording with David so interesting, besides the fact that he's not afraid to speak his mind, is that he provided so many validating truths and eye-opening ways of thinking about this topic. What's more is that he opens up from his own life and personal experiences in dealing with singlehood. Even though David and I don't agree on everything, which you'll hear more about further into the episode, this was one of those episodes that really had me thinking about the conversation for days post-recording. So I'm excited for you guys to get to listen, and let's jump in. Hello and welcome to Singled Out, a podcast where we discuss the difficulties of being single in the Jewish community, as well as ways of making the most of it. I am super excited to have with me David Beshefkin. Welcome, David, to the show. Zahava, this is so special. A, talking with you and talking particularly about this issue, which I feel like I'm losing credibility on. Because Glee, I, and her, I've been married a few years already. That My experience dating was one of the most formative and important journeys. It has enduring effects on how I look at the world how I build my current relationship. So this is really uh, You're saying even post-singlehood. Yeah, exactly. For me, it felt very long. It felt yeah. like eight years. It felt like a long time. And a lot of times you imagine that you're going to turn over this chapter and start fresh. Like, okay, now I'm married. And like those wounds, that grit, what I you know describe as almost like calluses, like a musician has on their fingers, uh, these calluses that you develop on your fingers because you've been playing the instrument for so long just disappear. That is very much not the case. I guess yeah. if you can just start us off, give us some background, if you don't mind, into your experience with singlehood and with dating. Yeah, true. Zahava, you don't have to edit this out, but we're speaking about marriage and family life. My son is calling to me. He's not yet in camp yet. I have to wipe his tush. So <laughs> you don't have to edit this out. I'm giving you permission. <laughs> this this is real life parenting 101. So listeners know <laughs> what this life is, but give me 10 no seconds. No problem. Take your time. Okay. Brief commercial break. And we're back. 
before you were married, I guess, when you think back to that time, what are some of the things that you think about and what was that experience like for you? So I evolved a great deal from when I started dating, both in terms of the community that I found uh, that I was kind of situated in and where I wound up. When I began dating, I was a student in Neri Yisroel. I would wear like a black hat on dates and a suit sometimes, not always. And I was going out with like either very from modern Orthodox uh, women or, um, or, or like open-minded yeshivish. I left Mary Yisrael two years after I started dating. And then I went to Yeshiva University and started dating there. And by the time I got married, I, I, I know I'm describing this evolution based on the clothes I was wearing. That's okay. Like, no, we're getting a to sense. To me, it was like a big part of the evolution. Yeah. I was going on dates wearing, you know, like good dating jeans, a sports jacket, like a little bit, a little bit more different. And uh, I definitely evolved religiously. I think I evolved in my personality. And I had this like, this ominous feeling when I started dating, that this was not going to go quickly. It was an ominous feeling. Even at the start? You felt- I knew it right away from the start. I knew it right away from the start. I, I, I This was not going to go quickly. There was one person who I wanted to get married, kind of like a person who I grew up with, and that did not work out, and that knocked me out emotionally and religiously for many, many years. I think a lot of people have the relationship that they're like, okay, this is the one that has to work, or like, like I don't know who I'm going to marry. I'm going to be like bereft, feel like you're really on your own. And I had such a person, and it didn't work out, and I, I knew, I even knew before that, it was not going to be so simple for me. I knew that right away. Interesting. I'm curious, is that because of like your personality? You knew that you're maybe just more complex or different or more out of the box or just in general kind of had this feeling? I, I think my expectations were too high. Not for the girl, not for how pretty she was or how smart or, you know, family, blah, 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 all those things that we put on. I think my expectations were too high for what this relationship was going to do for me or what the feelings were going to immediately provide for me. My Rebbe, Rev Ezra Newberger, one time told me, this is something that's always stuck with me. The main focus of teshuva is teshuva on your expectations. That sometimes your expectations are too low and sometimes your expectations are too high. And I grappled with both in my life. And I think at that point in my life, expectations for what this was going to provide for me as an individual were not healthy or realistic. You mentioned a little bit about how you start to change and how religiously you start to evolve just based on your clothing and more externals. But I'm curious, I guess, internally, what ways do you feel like you evolved religiously throughout your singlehood? When I started dating and I told you there was this one person who I thought I was going to, to marry, I thought I had to marry in order to just like have somebody in my life. Anytime I would have like a phone call or an update related to this person, I would go into a room and I would say to Hillam, and you know, uh, th- those calls didn't always end the way I wanted them to. And I found myself saying to Hillam less and less frequently. And I found my ability and capacity to Davin in the way that I had when I first began, slowly began to erode and diminish. And it became harder and harder to daven with the same capacity, to have that same sense of hopefulness that I once had. You know, those text messages, I, I wrote a column on this for Mishpacha Magazine, the different stages of text messages you get 
when you're dating on like Yamun Narayim. Like this is your year, <laughs> 10 exclamation points. And then like three years later, you're getting, you know, those messages like, I hope you find clarity. What you know, a like, jump. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, I think I was much more hopeful and optimistic. This is going to be my year. My philos are going to change this. And I think I had to reorient my relationship to davening itself um, mm-hmm. and creating, again, creating capacity. That's a word that I use a lot uh, in the way I think about my own life. Capacity to accept that my life did not unfold the way that I thought it would going, was going to unfold. That required for me a great deal of davening and a great deal of maturation to understand what role davening was going to play in my life. It's funny, the analogy my dad used to give us growing up was tefillah's not a gumball machine. But I think for a lot of us, it's like we assume we daven, you, you know, you turn the nozzle, it maybe gets stuck, but eventually it comes out. And then when it doesn't, it does cause people to waver, you know, religiously. Tefillah so, yeah. for me is when your quarter gets stuck in the gumball machine. And it's not for the gumball to come out, it's for the acceptance of the frustration to have an outlet and a place to put that deep existential frustration. Again, everybody has difficulties and setbacks in their life, but the setback of dating, I think, is of a qualitative higher order because like you see all your friends match off. I always think of that opening scene from Bambi where Bambi's walking and like he's got like Thumper behind him and the skunk and like all the, and they all find their, lovers and you see all your friends pair off you see your relationships with your friends change that you become like the the object of their um pity to be blunt yeah uh, which is hard like thinking of you rude like i think i haven't got like and everything starts to revolve around that and when the whole world looks at you through a certain lens it becomes very hard to not look at yourself that lens. And that lens that you end up looking through is that I am not whole. I am not complete. I am missing. I am late. I am not yet there. All of the words that we use in our heads, and that brings a lot of anxiety over like, who am I? You feel impermanent. You know, even those little triggers, like the triggers for me, what was like, finding new roommates. Who am I, who am I living with this year? Yeah. Every Shabbos became another trauma. I, so I, I would just eat by myself on Shabbos. I, I wrote an article about this. I had a Pesach Seder by myself. Purposely. Purposefully. You know, my parents were going away. They, of course, invited me to come. I'm not blaming them. I didn't want to be a guest in somebody else's home. I just wanted to be home. And the mm-hmm. hardest thing I felt about being single is that the very portrait and feeling of home starts to crumble. God forbid, not blaming my parents. That's like such an important relationship to keep intact. But like you would go home, it didn't feel the same home that it was when you were, you know, a kid. You're supposed to have your own home and you felt it in in subtle ways. And you'd be in an apartment, but that wasn't home either. Like I would, where are you going? I'm going home. What are you talking about? Your apartment yeah. that you have a one-year lease on or your parents' house? And the scariest part was that in my heart of hearts, it, 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 was, it was neither. Like, I don't know where home is. Like, that lack of homeness in your own life can really upend your 
not just religious identity, but your identity. Who am I? Where do I reside? Where is my home? That bereftness can take a tremendous toll, uh, and it took a tremendous toll on me personally, and certainly had religious components. First of all, I really appreciate you sharing that. So much of that resonates because Judaism is so founded on communal traditions and being part of a family and home. When you, Like you said, when you're in that strange limbo, when you're neither here nor there, it is very hard to feel a sense of being grounded and like I'm setting roots somewhere. The biggest change, I hate putting it this way, I think is people tend to become more modern or give up certain things religiously during that time period. So I guess I'm curious what you feel like are the defining factors, what contributes to that? I want to first make one important disclaimer. You absolutely should and will evolve religiously after you get married. I think that now that I am married and I see myself continuing to evolve religiously, I better appreciate the religious evolution that I had before I was married. And I use, deliberately use the word evolution because I think that, assuming most of your listeners went to kind of modern Orthodox elementary school, high school, to, you know, seminary or yeshiva for a year, you have this feeling of like, okay, I am who I am now that I've left seminary yeshiva. I need to keep this intact until I am married. Yeah. And now once I'm married, then I could kind of like, let all of these cumbersome packages that I'm holding, I can like set them down on the counter. Yeah. But this whole time through, you're holding these massive packages of what it means to be from and all of the expectations. If I let down one of these massive grocery bags, then like I'm not going to wind up with the person who I'm supposed to be with. I want to end up with the person who's usually either, you know, reminds you of your father or mother, not to get Freudian, but let's be real for a second. <laughs> Religiously, you want to you want to get back to that a lot of times, you know, the person who goes to Minion every day, the person who, you know, has the Shabbos table that you grew up with and the Sukkot and Yuntif and all this stuff. And you're holding all of these packages in your 20s and you're like, I, I don't know where to set these down. I did set down a lot of packages and a lot of areas of my religious life did evolve. And I frame my evolution not as a deterioration, but as a sense of rachmanus that I had on myself, of self-care, of, of being gentle with myself and being gentle with my, and the expectations that I allowed to be placed on myself, which doesn't mean that I threw everything out the window. I use this analogy a lot. There's this movie that I absolutely love called Castaway. And there are a lot of beautiful analogies from that movie, but I, it, it always resonated with me. A, he's stuck alone on a desert island, which before I was married, you know, it resonates with you. You start, you know, he's got this volleyball that he becomes yeah. friends with. A little too friendly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your, your friendship circles, your, the way you occupy your time, it's different. It's about like learning how to be comfortable on your own. But there's one thing that always moved me in the movie, which is that he was on an airplane that was a FedEx airplane. And he opens up all the packages to see maybe there's something that can help him get off the island, except one package. He leaves one package unopened because that also served a purpose for him as he wants to deliver it back once he gets off. Because when I do finally leave this island, when I do find myself in a different place, I can take this package and give it to somebody else. To me, I think there's a religious analogy there that I think religiously 
we open up a lot of the packages that we're holding to like get off the island. And I'm not going to tell your listeners or you which package that could be. My package was my relationship with Torah learning. So for me, davening in a minion was a trigger. It was very hard. That's very male-centric because most married men wear talisim, and I felt mm. like I was announcing to the world uh, that I am not yet married. And I found it really hard to daven in a minion as I got older and older. As opposed to going into a base medrash, there felt to be like there was this sense of equality that, you know, if you're here, we don't care what you're going through or what your background is. My recommendation always is to leave a package unopened. Um, and I kept that package with me through some really, you know, there was a lot of, you know, broken and frayed Amazon packages surrounding me. But I had Rachmanus to open up packages. And I also had the commitment and resilience to have a package that I, I want to take this with me off the island. It means too much to me to let go of. First of all, I really like that analogy. It has been a while since I've seen the movie. And of course, now I'm like, oh, I should watch it again now with this new lens. But I think that's a really, really poignant and, and deep analogy to make that comparison between how we deal with things when we are single, right? when there are all these different religious factors. And it sometimes feels like it's not so sustainable because I don't have so many places to put it necessarily. I can't just plug it into a family lifestyle the same way other people can. And I really appreciate your outlook that it sounds like basically the theme is to just try and be kind to yourself in that process of changing and evolving. I guess my question is, what recommendations do you have to still stay connected? So is it just leaving that one thing sacred or one thing that you connect to alive? How do you maintain that connection? It's a hard question to answer because it varies so much. Yeah, it's individual for sure. And, And one person's trigger can be another person's salvation. I think that as you mature, and this is rightfully so and doesn't end after you get married, your emotional health and your religious health need to align. Because of our own immaturity as we're growing up, we don't always figure out how to align those two and how to put ourselves in emotionally healthy situations that also align religiously. I think when you're single for, for again, for myself and for a lot of people, it's, it's having a good group of friends. When I say good group of friends, I don't mean the star, like the star crowd. Right. I think a lot of times that could be unhealthy. You mean like that supportive way. people? Yeah, supportive people. People who you could, you feel like you're you with instead of not yet married, instead of, mm-hmm. you know, are you dating? Are you busy? Instead, you know, all those things. And for me, that was, you know, some of my married friends, you know, like my old ones, you know, from like elementary school who, who I stuck with, I'm blessed to have. But, you know, people who I picked up later, a lot of people's wives, I I couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand them. We don't know one another. Like spouses were triggers for me because they would take liberties that their husbands had because I grew up with your husband. You don't have the same liberty to call me up and ask me about my mental health or are you really happy or all of these things. You don't have those liberties and I would not talk to them. I would not pick up their calls. I insisted on my emotional health, because I knew if I didn't have that emotional health, I would not be able to have any religious health. They need to align. And at some point in your life, you need to make choices. Like for me, it was buying a pair of jeans, which I did horribly. And the first pair I bought was from Banana Republic. And I came into there, like it was like one of those scenes from a movie where like, 
miners are trying to buy beer. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> it's very obvious you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> no, I like mumbled to the cashier. I'm like, so like, what, what, what do you keep the dreams? You know, I like, try to like keep it casual. I thought I was going to get carded or something. Yeah. Like, and, and they didn't fit and it wasn't right, but I wanted to rebrand. I wanted to feel like I wasn't just an older yeshiva boy. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So I wanted to dress the part. You're not a 20-year-old fresh back from seminary anymore. And like feeling that sense of dignity in who you are, I think is a healthy part of evolution. And just because the community you came from when you were 20 years old would frown or look at that transition as like, oh, we knew this would happen. This isn't good. But learning to develop that inner sense of identity, that I define who I am, I have that comfort and And at the same time, having friends and mentors who you can talk about these struggles with and you can guide them through, that's healthy. I think we can't spend the rest of our lives looking back at two or three years of our religious development and just looking at it with nostalgia and trying to figure out how can I recreate those three years when you were in seminary. That's not healthy. That needs to stop. Your best religious years should always be ahead of you. I am 36 years old. I am more religious now in the, in the true sense of the word than I was at the peak of my yeshiva. And I loved yeshiva. I look back fondly at yeshiva. You don't need to look at it with cynicism. It's the opposite. You become cynical when that becomes the only model and everything else you do for the rest of, you, of your life is undermining those two or three years. But if you learn that those years were a foundation, now I'm building off of it and evolving further, you're healthier. Every year you become more religious. You reorient what is, so to speak, in your Kodesh HaKadoshim, those intimate, private moments where you're actually with God. And figuring out what that Kodesh HaKadoshim is when you are not yet married, when you are not yet in a relationship, and hewing that out, and figuring what do you bring in there, what's your our own, I think is a really important question and something that a lot of people in marriage don't have the liberty or luxury to have to ask themselves. And even when the answers may not cohere with who you are when you are 20 years old, have Rahmanus, resilience, and the strength of character to really whittle down your values and say, this is, this, this is important to me. And this is not as important to me anymore. And that's okay. It's okay that it once was and now it's not. That, 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 that's okay. You, you could be a good person. You don't need to be frozen and ossified in this religious, you know, carbonite thing like hands solo, Star Wars reference. I don't know why that was necessary, but <laughs> we are. keep evolving. That's healthy. You're not moving farther away from y- yourself in seminary. You're moving closer towards who you can become with the full embrace, the emotional self-care and the Rahman is needed to become a healthy religious person. There's so much that you said there, Deva, that I really, really appreciate. And I'm just trying to process. <laughs> I think that was really, really well said. And I really love the way that you phrased those years or you know, the times where we do feel like we are changing and evolving as like a platform as opposed to, oh, that was like a bad time or when I was less from as opposed to viewing it as like, no, that's just a springboard and I, I use it to grow from and I'm always changing and growing. And even when that doesn't cohere with that neat stories that we get in yeshiva and seminary, you know, like got married 22, 
moved to Romanishkol one year, then came back, took the LSATs. That, that's a great story, and Kalakavod to everybody who was able to live that story. But that story is not everyone's story. And other people have trickier and messier stories. And, and they're just as religious. They're yeah. just as good and they're just as decent. My one caveat, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that's coming up for me when you're saying that, just from being in the dating experience is, again, we're always evolving. But if I'm in a place where I know I'm putting down more of those packages now because I'm not married, dating is also going to look different in terms of who I'm dating and who's willing to date me, even if that's not where I necessarily want to be more long term. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm curious how you'd approach that. I don't know if you listen, I'm going to shout out my podcast. I have a podcast called 1840, it's 18 dot And I had an interview with Rav Moshe Weinberger. Um, and I began my interview by recalling a story that I think relates to this question a lot. Uh, Rav Moshe Weinberger called me up to read me a shidduch. I, I respect him a great, great deal. I'm not one of his, uh, you know, close, close students. And I didn't... Um, I didn't dive in his shul, but he knew of me. And he called me up and said, I was in YU at the time. and said, David, do I have a girl for you? He went on, you're a Shemayim and the Midos. And like, yeah, I could tell, you know, she, she wants to build the, you know, the whole spiel mm-hmm. of that, that kind of, you know, girl who's fired up. And I told him, and this was the hardest thing for me, but it, it was healthy. I admitted to him. I said, I said, Rebbe, I'm not there anymore. That's not really what I'm, what I'm looking for. It's not really where I am. And I remember his response. He paused, he says, Ein chasidus ke chasidus rishona. The chasidus, the sense of commitment and religious excitement that you have initially, there's nothing like it. It's something very beautiful. But what is also implied in that, and I think that much of my interview revolved around this, was that there's chasidus rishona and chasidus shania. And Shlishis and Ravius and Chamishis, we oscillate and we come back. And like, that's okay. And when I admitted to him and told him that, you know, I wasn't where I was and probably because I wasn't dressing in that same way and I wasn't the yeshiva guy that I once was, that was an okay admission. You, you don't need to announce it to the world, but you also need to be honest and maybe ask yourself that what you were once looking for religiously, that part of the resume, Maybe it's phrased, or maybe your conception of what it needs to be, it's phrased a little too narrowly. You're, you're wound up a little too tightly around these like key markers of who I'm going to end up with. You don't need to do that initially, like Hasidus Rishona, but maybe that's healthy when you get older. Like I know for myself, and my wife and I say this all the time, we would not in a hundred million years have dated one another. She was not religious enough for me. And as I got older, my description on the religious component of dating began to get briefer and briefer until it almost disappeared entirely. I'm a big believer in my religious description of the spouse was, was the personality description. And I get calls on a lot of people's resumes where parents are calling me up asking about men and women. And they're asking questions that make sense when you're 20. But I'm like, this person is, is 32. They're 28. Like your questions, your religious questions need to evolve. 
you know, mom calls me up and says, like, they're asking because I'm on somebody else's shukran. Like, does the boy, like, have a relationship with a Rebbe? And I'm like, does any 32-year-old, like, what? What does that mean? Like, I don't even know. Do I? I don't know. Like, I'm close. Like, I'm not calling my Rebbe every day. Like, the, the, it's a conception that you have when you're younger and you're in yeshiva, but like, cut somebody some slack. You know, cut them some slack. Rabona Shalom. Like, that can't evolve what it means to have a relationship with a Rebbe when you're 33 and when you're 23. It should evolve. And when you're dating, that self admission that you're no longer the same person religiously. It can come at a cost, but, but it can also come with great reward. It can be liberating. You don't have to announce everything, but there are things that, again, you present differently. That's healthy. Admit it. It's, admit it. That's fine. I'm looking for something a little bit differently. I still, I still want the Shabbos. I still want the Jewish home. But the ingredients to get there evolve as you date longer. And if you're 28 years old and you're still looking for a 22-year-old yeshiva boy, that's a problem. You have to reorient your thinking of where would that person be at this point in their life? What would they look like when they, you know, when you enter into a relationship? Let's see if we can have a conversation together about what our home will look like. There's something very beautiful about the fact that there's more maturity and more honesty that you can develop together about what your religious home is going to be a conversation that's more or less meaningless when you're 22 years old. You have no idea what that looks like. So that's what I was going to ask you, because I hear the nuance, and I think that is so important, but I do think if you're someone that's growth-oriented, you do want to make sure that that is in place, even where you are and where your prospective spouse, the person that you're dating is. So I guess that's a discussion that you have of just like, we're both here right now, but let's talk about what it's going to look like together. Because I just, I think it is sometimes a hard line to straddle where, you know, if I'm dating someone's in the same place as me, but I still want to find someone that isn't content necessarily. I know this is a popular term and you're going to not like this. And I want to be careful the way I phrase it. I don't like the term growth oriented. Okay. Tell me why. I I don't know. I think it's a euphemism for something else. It's a euphemism for I'm here now, but I don't want to be here. It's, it's a harmless term. I don't think that's how you were using it necessarily. But when I hear it and we're being honest with one another, I get suspicious. I get suspicious that we use the term growth oriented as a cover for being honest where, where we are right now. Meaning, is it coming? Is it a referendum? Is it like, I heard that you don't go to Minion every day, but are you growth oriented? Meaning, the moment we get married, that goes out the window. No, for sure. And you're right. That's not at all how I meant it. I like it because it's vague. I think growth oriented means different things to different people. When I, when I personally say it, it's not targeting a specific action. It's more of, is someone always looking to grow closer in their Yiddishkeit, in their connection to God? And that's going to be different for different people in terms of what connects them. You know, so are you someone that's saying like, this is where I am. This is what Shabbos is for me now. And I'm kind of fine with this being here or is growth oriented? No, let's always find ways together to enhance that in our own terms. However, we decide that's connecting us. I'm not convinced. I'm unconvinced. I don't like your use of the word complacent. I don't like the word. I'm not convinced. Um, I think you need to fall in love with an individual, with a person who you appreciate their religious intuition. To that be sounds to- so much more broad to me. What's religious? How do you define religious intuition? Trust. It comes from a place of trust of where we are now. It comes from a place of trust 
that doesn't need to be spoken out about what's going to change after we get married because I have trust in who you are religiously right now. And I have trust that because who you are right now in this very moment that I accept and I appreciate and I am trusting of, I know we're going to evolve. I know things are going to be different. And I sometimes feel that growth-oriented or complacency is a distraction from your ability to have that complete trust. To have that complete trust that you as a person now and your religious decisions that you are making now are coming from a good place that I understand. And the same way that you make those decisions now, when the context changes and we're married or we're in an old age home or we're going through some struggle that is marks the rest of your life because life is difficult, um, you're going to make the same good decisions because you have healthy and good religious intuition. Been too wordy, I'm sorry. I kind of want to push back on this point, but also there's like a lasting question no, I want you to talk about. We that all day. Let, let, let's, we'll okay. have a separate podcast where we For talk just about that. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to say there and to flesh out, but I appreciate that perspective. I want to just wrap up because I overheard you saying this on another person's podcast. I'll give a shout out to the Why You Connects Candidate podcast, where you had mentioned with Rabbi Ismach that you have an interesting philosophy on dating of why people remain single. I'll go through each of them. Number one, the ante uh, gets raised. I felt this. The longer I dated, the more I would hear whispers or say to myself, like, I can't wait to see who you end up with. I can't. Oh my God, this must be somebody so special. And you feel that the person who you end up with needs to justify the entire trajectory of your personal narrative. And that is not a fair burden to place on anyone else. The longer you date does not mean the more wow of a person you need to finally commit to, who justifies everything that you do. The longer you date, is the more you need to refine and mature what it means to commit to somebody and what it means to be in love and what the barriers and expectations need to be to be in love. And I think therapy helps a lot with that. Shout out to therapy. Your expectations should stay as much as humanly possible the same, like a flat line, even as the length of your dating goes longer and longer. It doesn't mean that what you expect can't evolve, but the level and the wow and what the feeling of being in love should feel like, that should stay the same. And you need to do chuba to make sure that it's at the right level. That's number one. Number two, take a look at your checklist and make sure that it only has the bare essentials. Because checklists are important, values are important, and sharing values are important, but you need to make sure that no extraneous um, values sneak in there. Somebody who people thought was cool when they went to camp. Somebody who uh, only dresses a certain way. Somebody who, um, you know, is a name. Ugh, I hate that term for, for, forever. Uh, no, nobody knows him. Like, uh, who cares? Like, I, I think we, we creep things up. And when I say checklist, I don't mean literally on your checklist, but that emotional checklist that we can't move past unless we feel that they've been satisfied. I think we hold on to too much. And then finally, I'll say one thing about commitment. I think that the struggle for commitment, and I think I struggle with both of these, I think we talk a lot about our ability to commit and say yes, uh, but I think when people are dating, there is a 
there is commitment issues with being able to say no. And knowing the difference when you're in a relationship, afraid to say no, not you just mean to, to, a, to a date or once you're dating someone or both? Both. And I'll add to that list. We're committed and we're not able to say no to past conceptions of ourselves. We're committed and we're afraid to say no to the, you know, the sense of confidence we have of being beside somebody that isn't maybe what some people in our lives expected. We are hanging on to too much and we have commitment issues that we're afraid to say no to those things holding us back and being able to take a step forward. We're afraid to say no to aspects of ourselves and say, you're not coming along for this part of the journey. We're, we're, we're changing course. We're doing something differently. Can I ask um, you for an example, just because I'm having a harder time, I think, understanding that last one. Like, what would that look like? Well, commitment saying no on the most basic sense is you're in a long relationship that's going nowhere. Okay. And you're afraid to say no and end this. But the analogy that I was building on this in the commitment to say no is that you're in a long relationship, not with another person, but with a certain practice or a certain thing that you've been holding on to that you have not allowed yourself to move past. You've not allowed yourself to, maybe it's a religious commitment. Maybe it's uh, going out with a certain guy from, I don't know, or a girl from a, a certain community or a certain, uh, a certain profession. You have commitment issues because you're not willing to say no. You're not willing to say no one way or the other. Like, I, I know this, a family member had this. Like, she grew up in a certain home and she was going out with, with, with guys going into chinuch. And I told her, why? I, you, you, I don't think that you have the capacity to do this. And you keep on saying yes to these people and going out with them. You have commitment issues because you're not able to say no. Sorry, I don't want to give more detailed examples because they're day, I'm afraid to even give one. The one I did, I'm afraid. Right, like, right, right, right. You don't want to hit on something personal. Individual. This is about finding and constructing your sense of self. And what worked for your friends does not necessarily work for you. And the real work is discovering who you are and building that sense of self of what really works for you. Right. Or what doesn't work and that you need to Correct. say no to. Right. No, exactly. thank you. Thank you, David, so much for joining us today, for being here. You've given me a lot to think about and a lot to process. And a lot of it was really deep and profound. And I really appreciate your insights and time. Can you tell us how we can find out more about you or what I you're up like to? Or After this, who'd want to know more? <laughs> I, um, you can find me, if you don't know, on Twitter, Dbash Ideas. I share, it's kind of my public diary. I feel like I that's where yeah, everyone knows you from. You've been the, very funny. The community. I've written uh, a few books that I'm very proud of. I wrote a book called Synagogue, spelled S-I-N, about sin and failure uh, in Jewish thought, which I, which really was a product of my thoughts and ideas that I was grappling with when I was uh, not yet married. Um, and you could find that on Amazon. And then I also, if you want some lighter reading, I also just came out with a book called Top Five Lists of Jewish Character and Characters, which is a collection of my columns that I wrote for Mishpacha Magazine that uh, is lighter and can make you smile. There's a lot of good uh, a lot of good dating hockey. Yeah, we, I purchased that before Pesach and my family thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you for that. The only submitted top five that ever got published was from a girl who was not married, who lives in Lakewood, who sent me top five conversations guys love to have on dates. That's and so it was funny. like bullseye perfect. Thank you so, so much for your time again. 
and have a great rest of your day. Have a great day, Zahava. So either your brain hurts from trying to remember which amazing line you want to go back to, or you're still trying to process your own opinion on what David and I spoke about. There were many takeaways for me from this episode, but two that stick out to me are thinking about what parts of myself have evolved and changed and what my personal unopened packages are and why. And secondly, if I'm being honest, it helped give me a kinder perspective on how I view others I see going through their own religious evolution as well. Most of us being from more tight-knit communities, seeing someone acting differently than how we once knew them usually brings cause for judgment. And of its perspective made me realize just how important the alignment of person on religious health is for each person. And to recognize that we are really all on our own journeys. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode, what resonated, what didn't, and maybe what you'd be interested in hearing a part two on potentially. And shameless plug, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, to rate, or comment on Apple Podcasts. And feel free to follow me on Instagram at singledout613 where you can stay updated about future episodes. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.